All right, Acts chapter 17. We get through the first 10 verses. I had ambitions this week of doing this whole chapter, and it's going to be two, three, four studies, guys. There's so much here for us this morning. Um, so if you've been following with us as we've been tracking through Acts, um, I believe for us as believers, following Jesus, server, serving Jesus is the most exciting thing that you can have in life. Amen. Most exciting thing. It really is. Um, now, it's not without challenges. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But it is exciting. But it is awesome to see how God meets us in the midst of those challenges, how he pours his grace upon us. So we see a vivid picture of that, that here in the book of Acts, there's a particular, um, uh, <laughs> there's a lot that we see in the example of how Paul, Paul lived his life as he's out on his mission journeys, okay, in the life of the apostle Paul. And we're now going to, you know, get into Paul's second missionary journey. Um, he's still going for it. God has opened new doors and new hearts. Originally, Paul wanted to go to Asia Minor, uh, to the city of Ephesus, but God forbade him. Uh, it was not yet time. Instead, God steered him by a way of a vision to, uh, to go to Europe, right, to Massapotomia. Uh, and there, um, uh, the city of Philippi, it was the first time that the gospel actually got in to Europe, which is worth noting considering the impact that Europe has had with the gospel in the entire world since then from Europe. And as we begin chapter 17 today, we will see this um, in this chapter. Paul goes into three cities. And these three cities are unique and worth taking note of. Each city has a different response when it comes to the message of the gospel. You see, in Thessalonica, they resisted. In Berea, they received. And then in Athens, it was ridiculed. You see, in Athens, it was beneath them, beneath their philosophical greats, beneath the wisdom of the Greeks. See, I point this out to you guys because I, it hasn't changed in 2,000 years. It's still happening right now, right here. We still see these three responses. Those who resist, those who receive, and those that ridicule. So as we look at the events in this chapter over the next few weeks, we will better understand our world. So as we seek to be witnesses for Jesus in it, I mean, that's what, why, why we're here. This is what it's about. Look at verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollyana, um, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. So here we see Paul. He comes to Thessalonica. It was a city where he would spend a total of one month. But in that month, God did a great work. People came to faith in Christ. A church was established. If you haven't read 1 Thessalonians, read it. Read 2 Thessalonians, the amount of wisdom and the depth of understanding that a church had. New believers, only a month old, you know, is just phenomenal. 
Okay, this weekend I got to hang out with the youth group. We got to go through loving God with everything, the greatest commandment with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Great time. But one of the things I'm seeing with our youth group is they are maturing and they're maturing quickly. Okay? Teenagers get a bad label, and I see our kids not buying into that. We don't have to be what the world says we have to be. And spiritually speaking, do you guys know we can grow as fast as we want? Okay, some of you guys, if we're honest, you've been in the Lord for a while, for a while and you kind of plateaued. Hey, I've done a lot of growing, but of late, I've just kind of been, yeah, I know, I know, not a whole lot of growth. Guys, I believe we can grow in Christ to the day he comes to get us or we go home to be with him. I truly believe that. And I truly believe it doesn't matter how young, how old you are, how young or old you are in the Lord. Spiritually speaking, we can grow as fast as we want. God wants to see sanctification in us. He wants to be working in us. It's on us if we're going to yield. Are we going to seek Are we going to choose to obey and say yes, align our thinking to His, allow Him to work in our lives and through our lives, to be faithful with those things that He set before us, even if they're little, and allow Him to do. And as you are faithful in those little things, He will give more and more. That's how He works. His economy is a little different than ours. And I love it. I love seeing our young adults mature in Christ. I asked them last night as we were wrapping things up. What do you think the purpose is, guys, of this youth group? And their heart was that of evangelism. We want to see other teenagers know Jesus. That was their heart. It wasn't, hey, our purpose should be to have more camps, more retreats, more fun events. Can we do this? Can we do that? No. How can we get into our schools? How can we share Jesus? How can we build on the friendships we've made here? Strengthen those that we can encourage each other more. That's pretty mature sounding stuff, isn't it? And this is coming from, most of them are young teens. You guys know most of our kids are in middle school still. It's beautiful what God's doing. So here, we see Paul continue to go forth and being faithful with this call, even to this young church of believers. Um, I want you guys to turn there just because it's good. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'd encourage you guys, I read through 1 Thessalonians I think about three weeks ago, and there's still scriptures that just are coming to my mind almost on a daily basis. There's so much good stuff (laughs) in the letters that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. I think it's so rich and good because these believers were in a place of wanting to grow, wanting to receive, wanting the will of God, looking for the coming of Jesus. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says in verse 1, For you yourselves know, brethren, that are coming to you, it wasn't in vain, okay? We just didn't happen to stumble upon you, you know? There, it was purposeful, God had a plan. God had a mission. And we came to you and it was not in vain. But verse 2, even after we had suffered before, we were spitefully treated in Philippi. As you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. I love Paul just being real with them. Guys, it wasn't easy for us. 
but it's what God wanted. And even everywhere we went, even when we came to you, there was conflict, but we were still going to preach the gospel. Just that verse alone speaks to my heart a lot. There's conflict in life. There's things that come up. Oh man, I got to deal with this. I'm too busy to be about the gospel because I got to take care of this. No, there's going to be conflict. Let the good news be a part of the conflict, okay? So once again, we're reminded that men who are empowered by the Spirit serving God will go through times of difficulty, okay? Just because you're a believer doesn't mean that you're, hey, the cares of this world, troubles, trials, doesn't mean all that stuff, you know, is going to be absent from our lives. Some of us wish, some of us work towards, and we have a, we've bought into a lie that, hey, as a Christian, everything should be comfortable, everything should be good, there should just be blessings, everything should work out. I still haven't seen that in Scripture. I know some people like to preach that, but it's not what God has to say. <laughs> and we see that in the life of these apostles, as these missionaries. They go through difficult times, but there's a boldness that we see in them. And I love it. Okay, there was a boldness. It was in God and by the empowering of the Spirit. Again, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That is what the Holy Spirit does through the church. So how the early church started was the power of the Holy Spirit. And now at this point in Acts, we're 15 years in already. 15 years has passed since Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So, we see the Holy Spirit doing, working, establishing. The church that is um, here now, okay, that are the believers in the world today, 2,000 years later, it's here because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you guys understand that? It always has been and always will be a work of God's Spirit. It's not clever programs. It's not sophisticated strategies. Um, just people that are surrendered to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, I'm really stoked for next month as we get to celebrate 10 years. I'm excited just for us to be able to share testimony of what God has done. And in that, you guys know it's not going to be, hey, look at him, look at her. Look at these great programs and strategies that we had to grow a church. No, look at what God has done, period. Okay, If you're visiting freedom, you're new to freedom, you're going to find out real quick, we're not the smartest people in the world. We don't have it all together. <laughs> but you guys love Jesus. You're wanting to serve Him. You're wanting to be used by Him. One of my young sisters last night, man, small little youth group, they're doing outreach on a regular basis. What youth group wants to serve? We're just recounting just opportunities they want to serve. They want to do outreach. What? They've been doing it, and they're having an impact in our community. A small little group of kids. You guys understand it doesn't need to be big. <laughs> a few can have an impact. And that's the beauty. And that's what I see God doing in our church. Okay? He's doing much. 
despite us. Why? Because it's the power of his Holy Spirit. That's the thing that's beautiful. So, now before we move on, there's one more thing that I want you guys to note here in verse 1 about the journey. Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, correct? And it makes it seem like it was just a Saturday stroll. Hey, we're just going about our way, hitting up this city, hitting up that city, going here, going there, having passed through him Phyphilis and Apollyana and now we came to Thessalonica. You guys know that Philippi was 33 miles from Amphipolis, and Amphipolis was 33 miles from Apollonia, and Apollonia is 37 miles from Thessalonica. So do the math. The journey is 100 miles. <laughs> a 100-mile journey on Roman roads, hard terrain. So his journey of 100 miles is covered in one verse. Isn't that crazy? Now think about how belittling <laughs> um, th this is, the effort, the distance, the journey. I think, of, uh, I think he is helping us see what Jesus meant in Matthew eleven twenty eight. My yoke is easy. Come to me. My yoke is easy. I look at these guys going this far, doing all these things, and there's just one verse about it. Yeah, we're doing it with the Lord. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. See, there are things that might look really hard to us. And we might think, walk 100 miles. Walk a Brian told me this morning, ah, just another day, 100 miles on my bike. I'm thinking in my head, like, no way I'm ever going to be able to do something like that. And that's on a bicycle, which is way easier <laughs> than walking, right? Anyways, so walk all the way <laughs> and go and share the gospel not knowing what kind of reception you will have. If we looked at Paul's previous experiences, probably not going to be received the best. Hey, let's keep going. Let's go to this city now. Yeah, what are we in for? <laughs> but they kept going. Okay, We would wrestle with that big time. In fact, a lot of us do. We wrestle with taking the gospel just across the street. Now imagine... You walk from here to Bruce Lee's favorite city in the entire world. What's up? <laughs> Sorry, I've been hanging out with the kids too much this weekend. <laughs> but anyways, Wausau's 100 miles from here. Okay? Imagine walking that far <laughs> to share the gospel with someone. Okay? And what if Someone just wrote one sentence about that. Do you not understand? I walked all the way to Wausau, you know, all the way to share the gospel. I want more than one sentence, right? It was hard. It was tiring. My feet hurt really, really, really bad. So I want you guys to follow me here. The point is not that it wasn't hard. We already read in 1 Thessalonians 2 the conflict, the affliction, the trouble they went through. But the point is when that is the yoke that Jesus puts on you, it is light. Think about what some of you have gone through over the past few years. Tough things. Battled with cancer. Hard. Lost your job. Hard. Lost your house. Hard. Forced career change. 
Hard. Loss of a loved one. Hard. All those things are hard. They're difficult. But as you've trusted Jesus, if you, as you've clung to Him, He has sustained you. And there has been a lightness to it. He has met you in your weakness with His grace, with His power. So living in the promise of Psalm 125, verses 1 and 2, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. And as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people from, the time, from this time forth and forever. I love that. So how many of you know what I'm talking about here? You are in the midst of a hard time, but Jesus has been surrounding you, bringing lightness to it. That's our God. It's amazing if you think about it. Paul knew it too. In 2 Corinthians 1.8, he says, we despaired even of life itself, he said. And then in, a little bit later in chapter 4, verse 17, he calls it a light affliction. <laughs> really? We're about to die continually. Like death is right there in our face. It's just a light affliction. <laughs> I love that. So, precious brother and sister, cling to Jesus. Okay? Cling to Him. Trust Him. So this week in your journey in the midst of hard trials, maybe some of you are going through the hardest trials of your life, know this, He is surrounding you so that you will not be moved. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He carries you and He carries it. Hudson Taylor said this. You might want to jot it down. It's good. It is possible to trust God too little, but it is not possible to trust God too much. So Paul came to Thessalonica. He passed two small towns, Amphibolus and Apollonia, and Thessalonica, which was the major metropolitan uh, area of the Roman Empire. So it was a major population center of the day. Um, here we see another pattern of Paul's. He goes into a major uh, population area, reached the city for Jesus. Church birthed, developed. That church would in turn go and reach surrounding cities. So it's a good pattern. I mention this because a lot is written today about large mega churches. I've read a lot of articles through the years just putting them down. Um, there's been a huge rise in home church movements. Hey, keep the group super small. Um, advocating for smaller churches. But I believe that God has ordained bigger churches. And a big part of it, I believe we don't have much longer. I truly believe the Lord's coming soon. And if we're logical and reasonable, guys, large churches, they have more resources, more people, more opportunities to reach more people. That's just common sense. So instead of bashing big churches, we should be encouraging those brothers and sisters, building them up, encouraging them. So 
one of the things I look for when new people come here, I'm always interested in how the Lord's going to use them. You know, what does God have for them? You guys know that church isn't just about sitting. Hey, I'm just going to come and hang out and have a little social fun. No, God has a purpose for every single church. Okay? If it is just a social event, <laughs> missing the point. No, we're on a mission. What is God doing with Freedom Fellowship locally in Kakana throughout the Fox Valley and beyond? What is he doing here? And what is our part? What are our giftings? What are we called? You see, some are called to be givers, to support ministry, to be tithers. Some of you are called to serve. You get involved. You're hands-on. Some have the gift of intercession. You pray. We need prayer. Some will go. So if you're not in one of those categories, you need to be asking the Lord, what do you have for me? What's my part? Can't be a pew potato forever, right? Got to get in the game. Got to be a part of it. You're not here to sit. Some people come to church and there is a time to sit. There is a season of healing that needs to take place. And that's okay. That's part of what the church is for too. Brothers and sisters to come around each other. To be there to support, to encourage, to build up. But I think that should be a few months. <laughs> okay? There is healing. Healing does take time. But it can't go on for years, guys. You get in the game. So, let's look at verse 2. Was I clear about the big church, small church thing? I love the uniqueness. Like, I consider our church big, to be honest with you guys. I know a lot of you guys have said to me, hey, we have a small church. I love the intimacy. I love that we actually get to know each other. I love that part of our church. But honestly, guys, I feel like we have a big church. We had a great group of leaders this weekend that came out to love on our youth group, to serve them, to minister, to lead small groups, to make sure they were fed, make sure everything was going good. Praise God. The team that we have for our children's church, praise God. We have some phenomenal gifted teachers for our kids. We run the second largest food pantry in the valley. You guys have stepped up. We're serving. We're doing a little bitty church, but doing a lot. There's a lot of giftings. We have leadership in this church. Okay? We've been able to send out missionaries from this church. Do you guys understand? There's so many giftings in here. We have people who are able to counsel. We have people that are able to speak into marriages. We have people who are able to lead small groups. We may be a smaller church, but I feel like we're a big church in a lot of ways. There are so many talents and gifts just represented in this body. I mean, how many different worship teams do we have? That's so cool. Do you guys know a lot of churches our size struggle to just even have one person to do worship? You know? I'm listening to our kids lead worship this weekend. They're good. They're good. I just remember a year or two, they were so nervous and so timid. They're up there this weekend. They're dancing as they're leading worship, just praising Him and so free in the Spirit. They're not worried about hitting every chord right. They're learning their gift. They become comfortable and they're not worried about playing a song. They're worried about worshiping Jesus enthusiastically. 
It's beautiful, guys. So, do you guys get where I'm coming from from that? Good. And one thing more. (laughs) You guys know I put myself out there with other pastors, and a big part of it is I want the body of Christ working together because there are unique giftings that our little fellowship might have, this little fellowship might have, they might have. There's some resources this big church may have. And if we're working together and using those different things, we can do a lot more for the kingdom. That's just common sense. Why reinvent the wheel? Why to try to get all these efforts together to do this? If they're already doing this, how can we come alongside and help and strengthen that work? I think that's what God desires, but that takes a little bit of humility. That takes a little bit of surrender to what Jesus prayed in John 17. I pray that they would be one. Right? That's his desire. They don't believe everything the same way we do. That's okay. Maybe we can teach them things. We actually hang out with them. But you know what they do care about? They care about people coming to know Jesus. What do we care about most? People coming to know Jesus. Wow. They love their brothers and sisters. Oh, and we're brothers and sisters. They love us too. That's the way it's supposed to be. Anyways, let's move on. Verse 2. Then Paul... As his custom was, he went into the synagogue and for three Sabbaths he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. Wow. So he reasoned with them. Reasoned. You have to converse, right? Got to have conversation. Discourse with one another to discuss. So it primarily denotes to ponder or resolve in one's mind. So Christianity is a reasonable faith. I hate it. I got a few pet peeves in life. I hate when Christians say you just need to have faith. Hate that. Some of you guys might be like, wait a minute, Pastor. You preach every week that we're saved by faith. Okay? It is a faith thing. It is absolutely a faith thing. But Christianity is not a blind faith. God said, Come, let us reason together. It's logical, it makes sense. And for someone just to say, Hey, you don't have to think through it, you just need to have faith in God, just believe in Jesus. No, God wants you to know what you believe is for real. That it is the only truth. That He is the only way. Because let me (laughs) tell you what. We're going to be a lot more courageous and bold when we absolutely believe the truth. Okay? Would you guys agree with me? If it's just over here, oh, it's just a faithy thing. I have faith. I believe. I'm glad you have some faith in something. As long as we all just have faith. No! There's a truth. We need faith in Christ alone. Period. There is no other way to the Father. And if there is, Jesus is a liar and we're all wasting our time this morning. That's the truth of it. Jesus is not a liar. Satan 
is the father of lies. And man, he is good. He is good. That's why we need the truth. It sets us free. So, don't you love Christianity? Because <laughs> it addresses all the hard issues in life. When did everything begin? Why are we here? What is life about? It actually addresses the big questions in life. Why? Because it's a reasonable faith. It's logical. I love what C.S. Lewis had to say years ago. You guys know that he was an atheist, big time atheist at one point in his life. He was a Renaissance professor at Oxford over in England. Um, Higher learning. There is no God because we're so smart. No. Only a fool says in his heart there's no God. They are foolish. Period. After coming to Christ, Lewis said this. Listen, I love what he says. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe in the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. It's so true. You guys know what I'm talking about. You guys know what Lewis is talking about. When you come to Christ, boom! You can see for the first time in your entire life, everything finally makes sense. Before it was gray. What's going on? Yeah, no, maybe. You get saved. It's just like, oh, wow, Jesus, you're God. You love me. You died on the cross so I could be forgiven of my sins, which I couldn't make myself right. No matter how I try, you are the Savior of the world. You are the way. You're the key, God. You alone are Savior. It just makes sense. That's Christianity. And when we come to know Christ, everything else kind of makes sense. Would you guys agree? The things we cared about and were worried about before we knew Jesus, once we come to Him, do those things even really matter anymore? You know, God shed some light on those things. It's just like, why did I even care? That was pointless. This is what matters. God matters. People matter. All this other stuff doesn't matter. It's not what life's about. So in other words, when I look at the Scriptures, everything that I've ever pondered or thought about, every single question I have had in my heart, the Scriptures give insight to those questions in life. Man, it's right there. Do you seek it out? I know we all have questions. There's questions I've had for the Lord for years that him and I have still been reasoning together about and working through. And I'm okay with that because it's good because I know who's right in our conversation. <laughs> but I'm so grateful that he's alive, that he still speaks today, that he cares about my concerns, about my thoughts. I'm thankful for that. But you got to seek also. You got to ask. You got to make that time and place to do that with Him. You guys know I've ministered to a lot of people who have been down and out, to some really hurt people. One young guy I ministered to for a year and a half, his excuse, his argument was why did God let my mom die when I was so young? 
And every time, he literally dozens of times said that to me. It was so hard working through it with him. I don't know. Why don't you ask God? I don't know. Why don't you ask God? It was his excuse. He would never go to God and just ask God. Now, some of you guys here have gone through very similar situations. There's an argument to be made. There's the big questions, but you asked God. And God has spoken to you, and you are here growing in Christ, loving him, worshiping him. The only difference is you asked. God's going to speak. Anyone who truly seeks, when you seek me with all your heart, you're going to find me. God, I really want to know. Really do. I'm going to keep asking. And he's going to speak. So I love that God is willing to reason with us. So Paul is reasoning here, right? He's explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer, had to rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. So Paul is taking them into the Old Testament, explaining and demonstrating Messiah had to suffer. Suffer for what? The sins of the world, guys. To die, taking on himself the wrath of God to pay the price. No doubt he was using scriptures like Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, right? So how he would die, how he'd be buried, how he'd rise three days later. Those who would believe in him would embrace, uh, embrace the gospel, this truth, would be saved. And why is this so important? Well, the Jews in the first century, they were being oppressed, weren't they? They were under Roman oppression. And I want you guys to think about this. This is God's chosen people. Okay? They should have had a theocracy. <laughs> God should have been the one in control. But they kept choosing stupid things, doing stupid things, reaping the consequences of it. You guys see, we have a tendency to see and hear what we want to see and hear, don't we? We want to block out the rest. This is all I want to talk about. Okay? And it's frustrating. If you guys ever see me doing that, please knock me upside the head. Brother, come on. You know, open your eyes. Look over here. Do you not see what's going on? But I think we, we just have that tendency sometimes. This is all I want to see. Um, the Jewish people were very guilty of this. They were living under the Roman oppression. They were all... Uh, all these Old Testament prophecies, promises of the Messiah, right? The Deliverer, that he would come and overthrow the oppression, that he would set up his everlasting kingdom. So that is the Messiah that they were waiting for. But there was a whole other set of Old Testament scriptures that spoke of a Messiah that would suffer and that would die. And those were ignored. You see, we clearly see from our vantage point, right? Okay, hindsight, 2020 vision looking back. You see, first we know that he came to die. Oppression of sin and death was taken care of, was defeated. His second coming, he will reign. He will set up his kingdom. 
So in fact, in order to reconcile these scriptures, some of the rabbis, I want you guys to catch this, in the first century they started to teach that there would be two messiahs. Okay, Jesus had come and these guys probably began to hear some things and they had to figure a way around it. We don't want to look to Jesus. We don't want to even consider that he, maybe he was the prophesied messiah, savior of the world. Therefore, we're going to come up with some of our own ideas and they begin to look for two messiahs. The reigning Messiah would be called Messiah ben David after Israel's mightiest king. And they called the suffering Messiah Messiah ben Joseph after the Old Testament hero who suffered unjustly at the hands of his brethren. So Paul was illustrating that both of these sets of scriptures had been fulfilled in Christ. It was him. And the result, as we see in verse 4, some of the Jews were persuaded, persuaded, they agreed, they believed, right? So it speaks of both intellectual and a will of the heart in making that decision. They understood with their minds and they embraced with their hearts. So some of the Jews were persuaded, a great multitude of Greeks and some of the prominent women. And I want you guys to notice that there are three groups of people in the synagogue you got the Jews, of course, right? But you have the Greeks, okay? Seeing pattern always, um, you know, always with the Greeks. We have the Gentiles. Uh, the Jews, they referred to them as those who feared God or God-fearers. And then it tells us some leading women. So these were prominent women. These were women who had been educated, who had somehow escaped the oppression of Rome, Greek and Roman society, women were degraded. These women broke free, like Lydia that we saw last week, business owner, education. Some Jews, a great multitude of Greeks, and some leading women here. So all were hearing the message of Jesus. They were all hearing the same thing, responding to the message of grace, freedom in Christ, responding to this message of freedom, So this is a great, this is right, this is an awesome thing that we see taking place in Acts 17. But not everybody thought so, right? Look at verse 5. But the Jews, they were not persuaded. Becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace. And they gathered a mob and set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. So the Jews were not persuaded, no doubt being led by the religious leaders. They grew envious, we're told. So seeing these people becoming free in Jesus, they became envious. And they start a panic, driven by what? Envy. See throughout history of Judaism in the first century, the pattern of the religious leaders in Israel was very controlling So they had taken the law of God and the law of Moses and interpreted the Mishnah, the Talmud. You guys have heard of those before? All right. Okay, that is volumes that these rabbis, these teachers of the law came up with explaining what the laws meant and how they should be interpreted. So what a good Jew was supposed to look like, what they could do or couldn't do. So this was their attempt to put God 
or not God, well, yeah, God and man in a box. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> it looks like this. Control man, right? So this is what religion seeks to do. But Jesus came to do what? Set men free. Okay? Yeah, we don't have time to go there. <laughs> the gospel frees men. Period. Okay? It frees us from sin. It frees us from rules. And what does it bring us into? A love response with our Creator. That is what the gospel teaches. So these religious leaders are seeing people become free in Jesus, and they don't like it. They're going to lose their control. They quit coming to the synagogue. They quit tithing. Jealous. Their jealousy leads them to do something crazy. So they go into the marketplace looking for evil men to hire. Some of you guys may have the King James Version this morning. It says, lewd men of baser sort. What does that mean? They're hooligans. They're thugs, okay? These religious guys go and hire these guys and they gather a mob. Notice what envy and desiring control is doing to these men. Crazy. So they are distinguished leaders of the synagogue and they are going into the alleys by night looking for gang members, these thugs, to attack the house of Jason. Okay? And Jason, what was he doing? He's just being hospitable. Helping out Paul and the gang, right? So attack is the assault here, violence here. But Paul and his company, they weren't there. So what do they do? They drag Jason to the rulers of the city, to the other controllers, right? Religious controllers, verse 6. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren uh, to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. So these are the controllers in the political realm. The religious controllers go to the political controllers. Um, we've got problems when that happens, don't we? When the Pope two weeks ago is calling for a one world government, oh boy, we have some problems if that happens. The Bible talks about that happening one day. <laughs> Um, real quick, I think Jesus is coming back soon. I'm not going to put a date on it. I really, more so than any other time in my life, I think we are so close, guys. There are so many little things, just in my personal time with the Lord, study of scriptures, just things that are happening in the world around us. I don't know how long we got, guys. You know, I think it could be soon. But <laughs> uh, we do know that there is going to be a one world government coming together. Okay, the Antichrist is going to rise. Um, it's all going to happen. Uh, we at Freedom here, we believe in the pre-trib rapture. God's going to take his church out. We're not appointed to wrath. Christ took the wrath upon himself. So for us to be judged, it doesn't fit scripture. It's not what scripture teaches. I don't think we're going to be here. Uh, we, we may miss all of this shaking out, a one world government coming together. But we do see it starting to make movement. And for a religious leader of over a billion people upon planet Earth to call for a one world government, that should be like eye-opening to us. Like, holy cow, what's going on? And then for this Pope to say last week, a relationship with Jesus Christ is dangerous. We got some problems, guys. 
big time problem. Sounds like a false prophet to me. Okay. Um, so there is something going on. Okay. There's something going on in our city <laughs> uh, that's freeing people. It's not good uh, for either of us, these religious leaders or the political party of the day. So they're stirring up a, these political rulers and unknowingly they give Paul and his party the highest compliment I think that could possibly be given. Again in verse 6, these who turn the world upside down have come here too. I love that. Wouldn't that be cool if that was said of us? Those people at that goofy church over in Kakana, they're turning this whole valley upside down with this Jesus talk. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> I love that. So the message of the gospel, the person of Jesus takes an upside down world and turns it right side up. So upside down life and he turns it right side up. Your life, your marriage, whatever. He is, <laughs> this here is how they appeal to the political leaders. It was Jesus. Everything's being turned upside down. Things are actually being made right, and we don't like it. I mean, honestly, guys, how great America would be. I love election time. I can't stand election time. But anyways, all these guys always take their platforms. Hey, we're going to make everything great. If you just elect me, it's going to be all good. You know, really? The best we get is Trump. We need to pray for our president. But, I mean, do you guys ever think that? I mean, this is all we have to pick from, from 450 million people in America? This year, these are our choices, really? But that's the reality. That's the best man can offer, guys. What if we would actually just do it God's way? Do we really believe that he can make things great in this country? If we actually submitted to him, and did what he said. Now that's ridiculous. We don't want nothing to do with him. Because man, our country was founded upon what he said, upon Christian values, upon those truths. And we became the most greatest nation that's ever lived. The most prosperous nation. How dare we go back to that? <laughs> you know? God's ways are always way better. And the more we push him out, we just see our country falling apart. So, sorry, I hate talking politics. Honestly, I talk more politics from the Paul Peter than I do in my life throughout the week. I'm sorry, guys. Let's look at verse 7. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king, Jesus. I love that little phrase in here. That's why I entitled this message, Another King. There's another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let him go. So another king turns things right side up. I like that king, right? <laughs> Turn the world upside down. Now their kin is messing with our city. Okay, There's even a rub even today with that. I don't want a king who is going to come in and rearrange my life. I don't want that. I don't want a king who's going to call the shots. You see, man wants to be on their own throne. People today cry, legalize gay marriage. 
unconstitutional. It's not about the Constitution, okay? It's not what it's about. It's wanting what they want instead of what God wants. That's what it is. Taking God we trust off our money, prayer out of our schools, that's unconstitutional. There's nothing to do with the Constitution with that stuff, guys. Nothing. It's about, hey, I don't want to be reminded about the reality of God. Just get the Word of God away from our kids, our families. Get His name out of the pledge. Get it off our money. That's the problem. So if there is a God, then that means we have to answer to Him. And that's what people don't like to think about. They don't want responsibility. That's the bottom line. There's another king turning right side up. <laughs> so no, he is, you know, uh, they, they don't want him messing with their system. So, but before we get too critical with those who are liberal or have hard hearts, guys, I think we need to be honest with ourselves. Because um, I think we do the same thing in some ways. Say we hold on to bitterness and we're not willing to forgive. Because we say, I deserve to be bitter. They hurt me. What we essentially are saying is, King Jesus, stay out of stay out of the way. Stay out of this area of my life. Don't want you here. I think we're guilty of the same thing in a lot of ways, guys. You see, we live in fear, refusing to trust, saying, Jesus, I really don't trust you to be my king. So I have to figure it out on my own. Think about an area in your life where you're resisting. And then address that area. Repent in that area. Allow Christ to come in to rule that area. Maybe there's an area of compromise you refuse to surrender. An area where you don't trust. An area where you keep refusing to, to yield to the Spirit of God. Here's what I'm saying, guys. Lord, in an area of my life, <laughs> I don't want you to be king, but I know that's wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry. Forgive me. Come into that area. Set me free. Help me <laughs> to do what is right, what is needed to be obedient with that part of my life. I want you guys to understand something crucial here too. The word another here Another of a different kind. Okay, so a king unlike Caesar is what they were implying. Caesar was an oppressor. Do you guys know that Satan is also an oppressor? All about bondage, fears, bitterness, lust, sin. The kingship of Jesus is unlike that of the rulers of this world. Jesus conquers with love, not armies. His weapons are truth, are grace. He conquers through the cross where he died for the world. We're all lost sinners. <laughs> he did it. He died for his enemies. He died for you. And he wants to pour his love and his grace out upon your life. 
He wants to do what is best for you. He's interested in you as a person, not just as a servant for his kingdom. He cares. He knows your needs. He knows your fears. He knows your concerns. He knows our struggles. And he desires to shower us with blessings. And sometimes those blessings aren't what we think we need. <laughs> but he has blessings that he knows you need as his kid. Dad knows best. That's our king. That's our Jesus, guys. That's the one we love, we serve, we worship, we know. You see, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is king, that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It's going to happen. If you have not bowed your knee to him yet, you need to do it now before it's too late. Because if you don't do it now in this time, it's going to be too late. And hell sucks. It is a very real place for those who reject Christ. And God doesn't want any to perish. He's a good king. But hey, I want my own life. I want to be my own God. That's what I want to worship. And there is going to be judgment for that. There is going to be penalty for that. But for those who see their need and say, yes, you're right, God, I'm wrong. I need a Savior. Those of you who bowed your knee now, you've been given this wonderful gift of a good king who loves you. I love it. <laughs> There's a good king. He's a bad king. Who are you going to bow your knee to? That's really what it's all about, guys. So, Father, we thank you for the truth of the scriptures, how they speak into our lives, how they open our eyes, how they reveal truth. We are sorry for how we have rejected and have resisted you in our lives, in this country, entire world. We're sorry how prideful we are, how self-centered we get, Thank you that you came to set us free from all that stuff, from ourselves. That you are a good king, a good shepherd that wants to lead us into good things, to eternal life. Father, I pray that you'd open the eyes of the lost. We pray that you would reveal the truth of the gospel in such a way Father, I know part of that way is through us, your church. You've called us to make disciples, to go forth and to preach. Thank you for men like Paul and Silas, Luke, who boldly and courageously went, and went to places that they had never been to share this good news. Thank you for those who came and shared with us. Pray that we would be like them and share with others. Pray that many would bow their knee now in this life. God, we know you're coming back. We know the world's going to see you as the King of Kings one day and every knee will bow. 
Every tongue will confess that you are Lord. But for many, it's going to be too late. God, we thank you that you've given us free will and choice. God, we pray that you'd help. Just help people see. Open their eyes. Help us to speak. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen? Amen.